Well, I wanted to welcome everybody to Metro. How you guys doing? And I want to especially welcome those who are joining us by video. We are so glad that you guys are here. It is awesome to have you, and you guys are awesome. And let me tell you something, it's incredible. Uh, we, to me, it's incredible that we are one church with two locations. And last weekend, uh, we had a near record attendance that was a non-holiday uh, in the life of our church last weekend, which was so exciting for me personally. Uh, so thank you for that, it's really exciting. Um, now, we want to say that we're a different kind of church. So I don't know if you've been around church for very long, uh, but we like to say we're a different kind of church. Now, whether we're a good different or a bad different, that's up to you to figure out, all right? Uh, so we recently started uh, another leg of our series called The Old School, right? Now, The Old School is our trip through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, we started a lot of years ago in the book of Genesis, and we wanted to start at the beginning, and we just wanted to see the story of God, how it, how it just unfolds. And we wanted to see how you and I fit into that story. And you do realize that you fit into that story. You do realize this, right? I mean, I know how some of y'all are reacting right now in your heart. You're going, come on, Mr. Pastor Man. I don't fit. I don't fit. No, no, you, you do fit. But, but here's what we do. We go, no, I don't fit because you don't know how hard it's been for me. You don't know all the junk that's happened to me. I'm not even sure God knows my name. I'm not even sure God cares about me. And if you knew what I did, and if God knows what I've done, uh, he, I, he, he is not part of my story, and I'm not part of his story. Now, I get all that. But let me tell you something, Mr. Sourpuss, Miss Sourpuss, right? Let me tell you something. You do fit in God's story. Let me just set this record straight here. You matter to God. God knows you. He has not forgotten you. He knows every up and every down of your life. He knows everything that's happened to you. And listen to this. He knows everything that you have done. Everything. And yet he still chooses to love you. He still chooses and wants you to be part of his story. You okay with that? You need to be okay with that. Because it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and really, this is our starting place for tonight. Uh, we need to come and settle in on the fact that God does love us because we're gonna talk about some things that truthfully make us feel that maybe God doesn't really love us. Uh, we, we recently started into the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah was one of the great prophets. And one of the things that we're going to learn about the prophets is that the prophets had this deep, deep concern for their world that drove them. Uh, now, so when, when you look at Isaiah, Isaiah, we're, we're studying the book of the Bible that bears his name, right? And Isaiah was one of the great prophets. He, he literally, like the other prophets, he heard the voice of God and he spoke for God. Now listen, I'm a preacher. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah's uh, it, it was a different sort of a role than, than, than I have. Now listen, both of our roles is to hear the voice of God. My job is to hear the voice of God and to do my very best to, to teach it and to lift people toward God. But I am no prophet. I am a different sort of a guy than Isaiah. Isaiah, listen to this, literally heard the voice of God and became the voice of God in this world during his lifetime. It's an amazing thing. And so I, we're gonna be getting around this idea of the prophets. Now, when you think of the prophets, I want you to think about some of the regular human emotions that we have. Think of, 
sadness. Think of joy and anger and happiness and all of these sort of emotive things that we live through, right? Now, I I want you to answer this question, especially for you who kind of studied the Bible a little bit. Um, When I mention the prophets to you, if you've read the Bible at all, what kind of emotion do you think exemplifies the prophet? What word comes to mind? How would you describe the prophet's emotion? Wouldn't you agree that they just come off a little bit cranky? If not angry, right? Let, let me give you a little example of this. We, we started to talk about these, these different prophets and some of the minor and major prophets. Y'all remember this, right? Uh, Amos was one of the minor prophets that we talked about last week. And let me just read some of his words to you. Tell me what you think of this. Um, Amos says this, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Ladies, how do you react when some guy says, listen, you bunch of cows? Come on. Not too well, right? And so Amos says, listen, you cows, right? You who oppress the poor and crush the needy. Can you see a little crankiness in there? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, and then you see Micah. He was another one of these uh, great prophets, right? And uh, he, he says it like this. Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil? Listen to what he says to these people. He goes, you who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin, break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat for the pan. Does this sound like a little over-the-top anger issue? To you, I think so, a little bit, right? Um, not only do they use angry words, but if you were to look into their, to their way that they told their story and tried to teach people, they did some of the most outlandish, over-the-top, eccentric sort of a thing to, to get the attention of people that just kind of comes off a little bit crazy at times, a little bit angry at times. Like, for example, Hosea. Have you heard of Hosea in the Bible? This guy in order to prove a point that, that the people of God, the people of Israel, had become unfaithful to God. Listen to what this guy does. He goes out and marries a prostitute. Now, don't you think that's a little bit crazy just to prove your point? I, I think so. Another, another guy, Ezekiel, one of the prophets, he, he, he actually cooks food over excrement. In order to prove a point of just how defiled the people of Israel had become how their actions were just abhorrent to God. Don't you think that that kind of exemplifies a little anger issue? You know, or something going on there, right? Uh, So you got Jeremiah. He goes out to a garbage dump at one time, and he digs up this used, unwashed woman's undergarment used for that time of the month. You know know what I'm saying? And And he picks this thing up from the dump, and starts waving it around, yelling at people, going, you are unclean just like this. Putting it up in their faces. That's a little bit strange, right? It's a little bit crazy angry, I would think, right? Well, the truth is, Isaiah is the same way. It's no different for him. Um, We want to not think about these things. We go, you know, I don't know. If you've ever read the prophets, you go, I'd rather not even listen to these guys, because why? We like Happy, happy, happy. We want to just walk around like we're oblivious to it all. And the, and the prophets begin to point out things in the world, and listen, 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 and in our lives that don't measure up, that God says are abhorrent, that God says need to change. And Isaiah was the same way. Isaiah begins to speak about things uh, that, that were 
that come off a little bit, a little bit angry. Uh, because this prophet business stuff is pretty serious stuff. And, and, but here's the truth, friends. We need to hear the message of the prophets. We need to listen to this stuff. And even if it comes off as, I, I'm not even sure God loves me because of all this stuff. No, we need to hear it. As a matter of fact, it's so important. God dedicated 17 books of the Bible to the books of the prophets. 17 of them belong to the prophets. And they all kind of carried this same type of message that there's something wrong, not only in the world, but in you and in me. And so this is some serious stuff. And I think it, it, uh, now, more than really any other point in history, we need to hear this stuff. You and me, our people, we need to hear what was said of them. So let me explain uh, why a little bit. Because, um, like for example, like if, if, you, if you've ever been with uh, like somebody who's singing, right? And, and so if you're ever like in a, like a worship gathering like we have here or something like that, and, and somebody is singing and they're singing loud and completely off key. Now listen, if you are like not a musical person, if you're not musically sensitive, uh, you know, maybe you're not really into it, you, you may not care very much. And some of you have had that experience because I have sang next to you in church and it is just terrible, right? But you don't care because like, hey, he's having a good time and that's good, you know? Uh, but for those of us who are a little bit more musically sensitive, uh, and for those of you in the room who are like perfect pitch type of people, or you're really into the song, you're really into the moment and music, standing next to somebody who is singing off key is horrible, right? It, it just like ruins the whole deal from you. Uh, it, it's like when, do you guys remember when Roseanne Barr sang the national anthem? Duh. It was a horrible experience for any true red-blooded American. It's just really true, right? It was, it was horrible because, because why? Um, because those of us who know what it's supposed to sound like know, knew that that wasn't what it was. It's not supposed to be that. And the beauty was lost. The majesty was lost, right? Now listen, could you imagine going minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year, listening to Roseanne Barr. Horrible. And the prophets come along and they say, this world is out of tune. This world is off key. But, but here's how many of us act and react because it's the same way the people of God reacted way back then. They say, it's not me. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, I know there's violence in the world and that's you know, all terrible, but it's not like it's my fault. It's not like my anger, my frustration. It's not like my lack of care really has much to do with it. And the prophets lean in and say, oh yeah, it does. Oh yeah, it does contribute. You look at the perversion of our world, right? I mean, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that the sexual revolution has really cost us in many ways. Look at, look at what it's cost families. Look at what it has cost. Look at this porn ep epidemic and look at what it's cost marriages. Look at what it's cost women. Look at what it's cost children. And we go, oh yeah, Jay, it's kind of bad out there, but listen, it's not like my lust or my perversion has contributed to it. Really? The prophets lean in and say, well, then who is? It is you. 
And it is me. Look at cheating. We go, well, people in business, they always cheat. That's just, when you look at any business newspaper, of course it's cheating. It's always been that way. Or, or look at, I was just reading this week, and uh, it, it's amazing what's going on in Africa. There, there are 8,000 children either born with or diagnosed for the first time with AIDS every single day just in the middle section of Africa. It's the leading cause of death now. And we look at that and we go, well, it's not my problem. The prophets go, the prophets say, well, then whose problem is it? Aren't you part of humanity? Don't you have something to contribute toward this? I mean, look right up the road. You drive 10 minutes up the road and kids are born into utter brokenness. Look in your neighborhood. Families are utterly broken. And we go, well, it's not my family. It's not my problem then whose problem is it? And the prophets remind us of what we don't want to hear, that we have a problem. Not just the world out there, but you and me. We have problems. And so let me explain the big deal a little bit, because when we read the prophets, we go, why are they so angry? Well, let me just tell you this. The prophets were given this heavy burden of looking into our world and seeing how God sees the world. The prophets were given this call of God, this gift from God to to look at the world and to see it as God sees it, to hear it as God sees it. And it breaks their heart and they cannot remain silent. And sometimes because of the brokenness of their hearts, just like sometimes even on this stage, it can come off as an angry preacher. It's not an angry preacher. It's not an angry prophet. Their hearts are broken because God's heart is broken. And they want to do something about the brokenness of our world. And so Isaiah is part of this, and he begins to speak about the brokenness. But we want to say, it's not our fault. It's not our deal. It's not our issue. And the prophets say, no, it's exactly your issue. It is your issue. As a matter of fact, there's this man, listen to these words. It, it, it's a guy named Abraham Heschel. Uh, he's one of the great students of the prophets back in the 20th century, and he wrote all about the prophets. He made his life study about the prophets. He's written some incredible stuff about them. And, and one of the things he says is this. He says, the shallowness of our own moral comprehension, the incapacity to sense the depth of misery caused by our own failures is a simple fact of fallen humanity which no explanation can justify or hide. In other words, he says, human beings like you and me, we have an unbelievable ability to say, it's not my fault. It's not me. We get used to the world being broken around us. It's like wearing a watch, right? We just get used to wearing it. And you don't even think anything of it. Or, or you think of the stuff in your house that needs to be fixed, and at one time you go, oh, I gotta fix that. But you just get used to it being broken. And so you just live with it. And he says, we have an unbelievable capacity to live with our own brokenness. How crazy is this? Listen to what he says. He says, he goes on to write this. Heschel writes, the prophet is a man who feels fiercely. God has thrust a burden upon his soul and he has bowed and stunned at man's fierce greed. Listen, prophecy is a voice God has lent to the silent agony. Listen to that. Prophecy, these prophets is a voice that God has lent to the silent agony of our world. God is raging in the prophet's words. And let me tell you something, God is raging. In Isaiah's words, 
The prophets really do speak for God and Isaiah speaks for God and Isaiah looks around and he says, this world's broken and it's not just the world, it's you. It's me. And we need to listen to their voice. And so here's what I want to do. Isaiah begins to give voice to God's agony in this very first chapter of Isaiah. He gives voice to it. And so if you have a smartphone or a Bible, I'd love for you to find the very first chapter in Isaiah. And we're going to do something kind of crazy, if it's okay with you. I'm going to read just a big section of it. I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to respond to this. Isaiah chapter 1. You ready? You ready? You guys ready? Okay. Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 2. Listen carefully. It says, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. So he's like saying, pause, pause, pause. Any parents in the house? Any parents in the house? He's saying, put your cell phone down, kid. Get off of Instagram for a minute. Listen, he goes, all of heaven needs to hear this and all of earth needs to hear this. This is a pretty dramatic moment, right? He's saying, you better get ready because this is really important, what I'm gonna tell you because it is from God. And you would do well to listen. This is what he says. He says, this is what God says. The Lord says, the children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Anybody with kids in the room? Anybody with kids in the room? How does it make you feel when your kids willfully, knowingly, and repeatedly disregard you? Come on, parents. How does it feel when your kids willingly, knowingly, and purposely, and repeatedly disobey you? And more than that, when they disrespect you. Any parents in the house? You know exactly how it feels. They are, they are dirtying your name. They are dirtying your family. And God says, you are my children. You are my children. And you rebelled against me. I am the one who has given you life. I am the one who gives you breath. I am the one who makes that heart beat. Don't forget that. And yet you and me, we rebel against our Father in heaven. And Isaiah says, there's trouble coming. There's trouble coming. Listen to what he says. Verse three, he says, even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes his master's care. Like in other words, our animals know where to come for food. Our animals know where to come back when they need some help. And yet you and me, we run from the one who has created us and cares for us. Listen to what he says. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't even recognize my care for them. He says, it's like you claim to be my children, but you don't even think about me during the week. It's like church, it just rolls around and you go, I get my little God fix and then I go home, but you haven't even thought about me the whole week long. You have done nothing to open my word to you. You've done nothing to communicate with me or serve me in any way. Who are you trying to kid here? He says, there's a brokenness of the people of faith and that's a whole bunch of us. Listen to what he says next. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with the burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord God. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Isaiah is saying, you know what you've done? You know exactly what you've done. Parents in the house, have you ever caught your kid doing something? Any parent? They just have this look of guilt on their face. What is the first thing they say? I didn't do anything. It's not me. I have no idea how this broke. I have no idea at all. I saw you do it. No, you didn't. I wasn't even here. 
It's amazing. It's amazing, right? Listen, and Isaiah is saying, we become these snot-nosed, hard-response, bratty little kids. We become this. He says it's even worse than that. He, he puts a descriptive word to our actions. And he says they're just evil. I'm not evil. Oh, no, you are. My sin's not that bad. Oh, no, it is. And Isaiah says, something's got to give. Something has got to change. Are you starting to see this, uh, you know, anger issue arise in him? He calls you evil, right? So here's this, listen, verse five. Why do you continue to invite punishment? It's like, he says, you know you're hurting yourself. You know what this is costing you. Have you ever met somebody who, who just does dumb things all the time? I mean, they got a lot of talent, they got a lot of potential, but they just keep hurting themselves by what they do, by what they think, by what they say, by how they act and react. Anybody? You know people like that? Well, he's saying that's us. You're the dumb person. That's you and that's me. And you know it's hurting you. So he says, why do you continue to do the things that hurt you? Anybody in the room ever say, you know what, like after you've done something that was wrong or, or even, let's use the word sinful? Anybody in the room ever just go, come on, let's be honest for a second. Anybody go, I'm never doing that again. Anybody? Anybody, come on, anybody? Okay, let's go real honest. How many people did it again? Come on. And he says, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Listen to this. He says, must you rebel forever? Don't you realize what it's done to you? Your head is injured, your heart is sick. You, you're battered from head to foot, covered with bruises and welts and infected wounds without any soothing ointment or bandages. How does your soul feel? Listen to me. How does your soul feel when you know that you have done things to push God away? Anybody? There's a brokenness there. You know what your heart feels like when you don't measure up to God, uh, God's standard and God's desires for you. He says, you understand this and you're hurting yourself in the process. Your country lies in ruin and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything you see. And he says, don't you see the pain in your life? Stupid people keep doing stupid things. And so Isaiah says to people like you and me, knock it off. Change. Do it differently. Go to verse 9. It says, if the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, um, people of Gomorrah. Anybody know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the room? Anybody? You go back and Google it. You go back and read it for yourself. The, the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had become so perverse, so sexually wicked. I mean, it doesn't sound like anything in our country at all, okay? But, but they had become so broken sexually. Listen to this. The God who is incredibly graceful, exceedingly graceful, gets to the end of his rope and says, enough is enough. Can't take it anymore. And because of their wicked and stubborn hearts, he sends fire from heaven and literally destroys these two cities. Utterly destroys them. But he spares a couple who were righteous. He spares them. And yet, what Isaiah is doing here is he's saying, you, people of Israel, you clapped when God did this because the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were the enemy. They were the bad guys in the story. 
But now he's going, but you're just like them. You are just like them. Not me. And the prophet says, yes, you. Yes, you. Listen to what he says next. What makes you think I want all of your sacrifices? Says God. I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and fatted, uh, fat from fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from their blood of, of bulls or lambs or goats. And, and you remember the deal, right? Uh, people who, uh, who wanted to be made right with God, you have this kind of guilt in your life sometimes and you just want to make it right. And so what they would do is they would offer these sacrifices. They would like kill something of great value to them and they would present it to God and they'd say, God, does this make it better? God, does this fix the problem? And God says, what makes you think I'm all into this blood stuff? What makes you think I'm into your sacrifice? What do you think, what, do you think you can buy me? Do you think that somehow you can persuade me or impress me because of your sacrifice? Because of your gifts toward me? He says, I've never wanted that. What does he want, friends? What does he want? Us. He wants our hearts. He wants our souls to be different. He doesn't just want us to be on repeat, doing what we've always done. He wants something to change inside of us. We think, well, I'll just, well, you and me, we think, well, I'll just go to church. I'll think I'll just serve some people. I'll just give some money. And God says, I never wanted that from you. It's called religion when we do that. And this is God's way of saying, no more religion. It needs to be something different. It needs to be, listen, listen, a relationship. It needs to be personal. It needs to be life-changing. Not just a habit, not just a ritual that you go through, not a religion, but a relationship. Look, look at this next verse here. It says, it says when, when you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts all, with all of your ceremony, Right? And we do this. Come on, we've all been to a church, right? It's like you come in the back door like you own the place. You come in going, ooh, I'm in church. Don't I look good? I got my family right behind me in tow. And we think it's all good and all great and all grand and everybody's applauding us because somehow we made an effort to come to church. But he says, when you come to worship me, who asks you to parade in like you own the joint? Look at this next little verse. This is amazing. He says, so stop bringing me your meaningless gifts and your incense of offerings. They disgust me. So what we do is we go, well, God, I know how I've been living all week long and I'm just gonna drop a 20 in the plate. Does that make it good? Come on, don't say that you haven't felt like somehow when you've been wrong in your life that you wanna somehow make it up to God. God says he doesn't want you to make up anything. God says he doesn't want you to try to fix anything. He wants you to fix your heart he wants you to fix your soul. He says, I'm tired of people coming in. He goes, as of all your celebrations and your new moons, uh, like, so they get together for these festivals and these parties and these gatherings. We do that. And we come in and go, oh, it's gonna be great. And we're gonna come right here front and center and we, woo, woo, good song, Chad. Woo, I like that one. And we think somehow that satisfies God. Look at this, he says, all of your celebrations of your new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are sinful and false. 
I want no more of your pious meetings. You know what he's saying? He says, I don't like your church. He doesn't like our church. If it doesn't change something in here, well, it's my habit. This is what I do. That's a good habit that you come. But it means nothing if it doesn't change what's in here. Look, look at what he says next. Look at this. He says, I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. We are literally wearing God out. All these songs that we sing for God, all these things that we do for God, all these activities that we do for God. He says, I can't stand it. You're wearing me out. You're killing me, folks. If it doesn't change something in here, it doesn't matter. It's just religion. And he says, no more religion. No more religion. It takes something more than that. Look at this. Look at this. He says, uh, he says verse 15. He says, when you lift up your hands in prayer. Can you imagine this? I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I won't even listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. It's not me, pastor. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. I, I, I'm fine in the world. No, no, no. The prophets are saying, who are you kidding? Are you blaming all the brokenness of the world on somebody else? He goes, well, you're so broken in your soul that you come and, and you pray and you lift up these prayers before God. Could you imagine God not even hearing you? Because we come with this little laundry list of God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this for me. Since when does God serve you? You serve God. But we make these demands of God. And God says, you're killing me. I'm not even listening anymore. Not if it doesn't come from here. Not if you're not gonna do something with these prayers. Not if you're not gonna respond to my word to you. If it's just going to be this endless cycle, then he says you might as well forget about it because it's just a ceremony. It's just a social gathering at that point. So he says something's got to change. Something's got to be different. Something's got to give. And something does change in verse 16. And, and I, I want you to, if you're to be like, like, like if you're a note-taking person, you want to write these. I'm going to give you three little words. You want to write these down or take a picture of these. Because Isaiah, the great prophet, he, he gives us three thoughts that change all of this meaningless religion. Very, very simple. Three very simple words. He says, turn, do, and rest. Turn, do, and rest. Now let me read this next section to you. Ready? Verse 16, this is what it says. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Then he says, come now. Let us settle this matter together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you only obey me, you'll have plenty to eat. But if you turn away from me and refuse to listen, you'll be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord God, has spoken to you. So, so how, do we, how do we respond to the prophet's warnings? 
turn, do, and rest. He, 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 he starts off by saying, you, you, gotta, you gotta change something, you gotta clean something up. You gotta turn from your sin. Now, I, I get it, listen, we don't like admitting we're wrong. We don't like to be judged. Um, you come into a place like this and you're like, man, if that preacher judges me one more time, I'm out of here. I get it. I don't need to judge you because you already know in your heart. You already know in your heart where you're right and where you're wrong and where you're clean and where you're not. And you already know you got this thing called sin inside of you. I have it in me, you have it in you. Come on, who are we trying to kid? He says you need to get rid of your sin. Now we don't like these words, repent, turn, confess, admit you're wrong, admit your need for God, admit your need for a savior. But Isaiah, the great prophet, he says, this is where it starts. Stop blaming somebody else. Stop putting the blame somewhere else, just like our kids. Stop, say, stop. We admit that the world has issues, but we need to admit that we have issues. And we have a blackness of soul that we can't take care of ourselves. And so Isaiah says, you better turn. You better call on the name of God. You better confess your need for God. And, and then he says this. And, and then he says, that, that you need to learn to do something with your faith. Because if your faith is real, it changes you. If your faith is real, it changes who you are on the inside. It changes you from the inside out. It works from the inside out. It becomes an outward expression of who you are. Listen, if your faith is real, then act on your faith. If your belief is real, do something with your belief. So one of the things that is always striking to me as I pastor this little church is how many people like to complain about everything. Do, do you guys realize that complaining is not a spiritual gift? Do you, do you realize this? Doing is. It's amazing how many people want to complain that we're not doing it right or not doing it good enough or my children aren't being taken care of, the place isn't clean enough, but you don't want to do anything. Isaiah says, if your faith is real, you will do something with your faith. You will respond to that voice that God has given you, that leadership that God has given you. You'll do something with it. It'll become real to you. You will get in the game. You will get out of the huddle and you will move on to the field. You will. Not to earn your salvation. Not to somehow gain favor with God. He says, I'm done with that. Stop bringing me gifts. Stop raising your hands. Stop singing your stupid songs. He says, I want your heart to be different and I want your heart to respond to me and I want your heart to follow my lead. I want you to do something with your faith. Stop making excuses and stop being lazy. Stop being selfish, stop being self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-everything. And build his kingdom. That's what he wants. And then he says, you need to turn, do, and rest. Perhaps one of the greatest pictures in all of the scripture of what God does for us. Look at this. He says, come now. Let's settle this whole deal, says God. Though your sins are like scarlet, they're red, they're, they're like blood flowing out of you. I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Isn't that beautiful? He says, I want you to do this. I want to do this for you. He, 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 says, he says, I want you to rest 
in the fact that I can do for you what you can't do for yourself. We're going to settle this matter once and for all. Stop trying to be religious. Stop trying that game. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you forgiveness. And you need to rest in that. We're going to settle this matter once and for all. You're going to respond to me out of that grace. You're going to respond to me. You're going to do out of this faith. But it's not going to save you. I do all the work. You get all the benefits. Woo! Right? And he talks about this this sin being covered like white as snow. And he's not talking about the kind of Michigan snow where it gets pushed up by the plow and it's all dirty, side of the road, black. Now, I'm not much of a snow guy or a cold guy. But you gotta admit, it's a beautiful thing when you get six inches of fresh powder and you get up in the morning and everything that was dirty and ugly is just covered white. Isn't there a certain beauty in that? And God says, oh, I see all of your dirt. I see all of the grime, all of the brokenness of you. And I just cover it over like a blanket of snow. And I make something beautiful that was so messy. Rest in that. Rest in that. So here's what we're going to do to make this personal, to respond in a relational way toward God. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. We're going to remember what Christ has done for us. But before we do this, the writer of the New Testament, part of the New Testament, a guy named Paul, he's speaking to a church just like ours. And he says this, he says, before you remember and celebrate this thing called communion, look at me, everybody. Look at me. Even people on video, you look. Listen. He says, you need to examine your soul first. You need, to, you need to look deep down inside of who you are. And you need to make sure that your faith is real, that it's not just a religion to you, but that it's a relationship that is driven by grace, that you're resting in what God has done for you. You need to examine your soul. And so what we're gonna do around here is we are going to, we're gonna let the band play and lead us into this. And uh, we're going to remember communion together. So those of you who are watching by video, Pastor Greg is going to lead you into this. And we're going to remember this together. And here, this is how we do it at our church. You may have experienced it in all sorts of different ways. Uh, in churches where I grew up, they used to pass this little thing back and forth. And, it, you know, the little elements, they called it, and you'd eat it. And uh, that was good. That was fine. Uh, but frankly, I felt that's too easy for us. Because, you know, it's just easy being laid right in front of you like that. I feel like you've got to respond to God. I feel at some point you've got to make a decision to move toward him. And so we make uh, communion a little bit awkward for you. We make it a little bit hard for you. Um, we invite you to come to one of our commu communion stations. As the band begins to play, my hope is, is that you'll reflect on your need for a savior. My hope is that you'll realize that God is the forgiver of your sin and that you'll ask him to forgive your sin, that you'll examine your heart and make sure it's right before him, not relying on your own goodness, but on what he has done for you. Whew. Amen? And so when we, when we do this, as the band plays and as you've taken some time to reflect, you've looked at your heart, my hope is, is that 
that you'll come and you'll take the bread, which represents the body of our Lord Jesus, broken for us on a cross so that we will not have to be broken for our sin, that we will purposely remember his gift to us on the cross, understanding that we are now part of his body when we come to him in faith. And then how we do it here is when you come, you will take the, the bread and you will dip it in, in the cup, the juice, the wine that represents his blood shed for you, spilled for you. His blood that, that covers all of our sin like that blanket of snow. And then at our church, we invite you to either maybe you come and some people are really good with this and you just kind of just get your deal done and that's a cool thing. And, but, but others might need to come and you just might need to kneel around what we would call our altar here. Or maybe some people need to go off in the corner and just do some business with God. Or maybe you need to take it back to your seat and, and just remember him for a moment asking him to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. So we would invite you to come. If, if you're one of these like gluten type of people, we have a gluten thing back there, which is really high tech for a church to have gluten-free communion, okay? But that's in the back. But we want everybody to do this who's ready to do it, who's examined your heart. So you pray, you talk to God, and when you're ready, you come. You know, in the New Testament part of the Bible, uh, a man named Paul was writing to people like us. And he, he says that the very people who were once the objects of the wrath of God, in other words, God had every right to be angry at you. He says those who were once the wrath of God now have become the objects of his mercy. The object of his mercy. In other words, because of the name of Jesus, because of what he has done for us, not because of our own goodness, our own ability, our own strength, our own efforts, our own religion, but because of his great mercy, his grace, he has chosen to make us right with him because of his love for us. So thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, God. Uh, this night was really about heeding your warning and reflecting deep into our soul. I pray, oh Father, that you would have spoken into this room, into the hearts of men and women. God, that we would heed your call on our life to turn, to come to you, to repent of our sin and to do something with this faith that is rested solely on what you have done for us. Matter of fact, in this room right now, maybe you need to just take a moment and just say something like this to God. Maybe you just need to go, God, um, I just need to take a minute. I'm saying I'm sorry. God, I'm, I'm admitting my need for you. I admit that I kind of go through some habits, I kind of go through some ritual, that I have some religion inside of me that isn't saving me. Maybe you need to say, God, I need you to save me. Please forgive my sin. I admit my need for you. I admit my sinfulness. 
Maybe you just need to say, Spirit of God, I need you to come and take over my life and fill up my life. I repent, I turn to you and I invite you in. I want to walk with you. I want my faith to be alive. And God, I'm so thankful for your mercy and your grace and your voice that calls to me. So I bow before you now, God. And I give you my life. Maybe before you get out of here, before we're done, maybe you need to, to talk to somebody about this. Maybe you feel right now that you want to you want to maybe go further with this new faith or maybe you need a, you know, somebody to pray with you to kind of maybe dedicate or rededicate your heart or to move your heart back toward God in some way. Maybe there's an issue in your life, a struggle in your life. Maybe there's just something big in your life that you want to talk to somebody about up to my left, to your right. We want to pray with you. We don't want anything from you. We don't want your money. We don't want anything. But we would love to pray with you and lift you before God. So Father in heaven, we pray that your grace would shine over all of us. God, I pray that we would know who you are and that we would move towards you with everything that we have. Spirit of God, speak into this room for your child is listening. In Jesus' name together we say, amen. Amen? Amen. Amen.